0: Uh, we generated one of the strongest res- responses I've seen from Dave in quite some time when we suggested that this was an aviation story.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that.
0: Yeah. See, so what happened was a uh, on Twitter, a listener
1: this might be a beer story it's not an story. <laughs> that's
0: true yeah right. so uh so a listener on on twitter sent me a pointer to a video that's a sort of a trailer a coming attractions for a tv show or series or something like that that's coming up uh, later this month i think and Labor Day, actually. Yes. And it's for I forget what's called. What's the show called, David? Do you have it in front of you? We neither Jeb nor I can open YouTube
2: videos because it's too well, it says Flying Anvils. Flying from, Anvils, right. Yeah. Premieres on Science Channel on Monday, September five at ten PM and I'm sure that's probably Eastern. Yeah, and the uh, yeah,
1: that's that, I think that's the title of the program, right? Flying, and one of the uh, flying anv-
0: anvils, flying anvils, and one of the uh, MythBuster brought, guys is the host. Brought to you by flying squirrels. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. And so apparently, what they do is that they somehow and, and Weber grills. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they somehow they somehow uh, 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 put. Explosives underneath an anvil, a genuine anvil, all right, and then try and launch it up into the sky. And I don't know what what's the what's the contest? How high you can get it? How 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 straight up you can get it to go? All I know well, is that they, they height sh- and maybe, hang
2: may- height and hang time, height and hang time. Okay, maybe the, maybe the contest is how high you can
1: get and still launch the anvil. <laughs>
2: Something like that. And, there
1: was and, another and course, story
2: along that line. What was it? I don't know. Anyways. Um, oh, I know. And an it important, was. important part of the competition is to have it not come down on you. It, this, I would think. This is a
1: critical safety issue. <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: I know. And that's just like flying, you know. So this really is pretty close to being aviation. Right, Dave? Yeah, No. <laughs> David sent no. us back an email. So I forward this Twitter on to the two of you guys, and David very, very quickly responds quite, you know, like all capital letters, like, no way, this is not flying. What are you
2: talking about? This if you're not e- on it, it ain't flying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: You don't have any skin in the game. We've had this conversation about UAVs and, and whether um, UAV operators should well, be called pilots. I, I beg to and differ
0: that- about not having skin in the game since you want to make sure you're not under it. Okay.
1: Well, look, look, the cameraman doesn't even have skin. The, the cameraman's probably using the longest lens in his bag. Yeah, I know.
0: Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, they shoot these. Things. I mean, that's it's a little bit of a thing to make the anvil go straight up in the air, I would imagine, you know. I mean, well, it's, it's like, a
1: shape charge and, you know, probably have a tube or something like that. Oh, really? The,
0: you, you speak the, as if uh, you have some expertise here. Only, only with fireworks.
2: Yeah. Have you ever fired anvils into the air? No. Any Paint fu- cans. Paint cans. They fired paint cans into the air. Paint cans that were weighted down on the outside with a rock.
0: Okay, and were they empty of paint?
2: Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, see that's and, no and fun. The, and, and the and uh, the propellant.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Propellant was underneath the paint can. Uh huh.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. There 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 was one occasion not too long ago involving I don't know a Fourth of July or. Uh, New year 's or you know uh, Lent or some other kind of celebration uh wherein me and one of my neighbors were responsible for for setting off some some fireworks, totally legal fireworks but of well. course yeah but of course uh legally acquired legally uh um, disposed of, shall we say, and we kept blowing up <laughs> these tubes with the supposedly you know these Roman candle things in them and and uh, I was like you know dude why what what is going on here what oh, you're putting them there upside down <laughs> well, that's not right, no, that's not right. um, so we kind of got religion as it were on that and uh, um and moved on um but uh yeah, similar things can happen with anvils too,
0: yeah, so how did the paint can thing go david
2: what- what did you use to launch them uh well, believe it or not, you used to be able to go to hardware stores and buy a compound called carbide, which when you dropped it in water would emit a gas, okay? And we would take a little a, a little paper cup and a piece of carbide, put it under the little little water, drop the carbide in it, put the paint can over it, wait about 2 minutes for the fumes to build up and then use Three or four firecracker fuses twisted together, and our you know our pre prepubescent speed and agility to get the hell away from it before <laughs> yeah. it exploded. I know. Uh, yeah, one of my nephews
0: and I were trying to build a potato cannon, potato gun thing. You know right. these? Right. Oh uh, yeah, sure. I've yeah. fired those. Yeah, we could not get it to fire. We didn't get the right. We don't think we got the the right air fuel mixture in the little thing. And uh, so, uh, what? How were you trying to ignite it? Well, oh, it, you don't want to know. It's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> but my nephew, I, I suppose just about any kid nine-year-old is into, into things that blow up, all right? But uh, he sees particularly like this. I'm not sure if my oh, brother a, his father a, is all that thrilled with the idea,
2: but uh, a he and I have fun. A friend of mine says that about a three-inch diameter piece of PVC tube with the, the back end capped and the electronic igniter assembly from an old grill... Or an old lighter, uh, wired into it into the tube. That's all sealed up, and you give it a little bazooka handle and white rain, extra clingy or something like that. You spray a bunch of that in there, shove the potato down there, aim it, and pull the trigger. It will go. I'm gonna have to get you and my nephew together sometime. Speaking of, uh, but but speaking
0: of fuel and PVC tubes, the uh, Sonics people flow their jet. Apparently, so we talked about this on the podcast about I don't know a
1: year ago. What what what, 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 what does PVC tubes have to do? With I don't know. Sonic it was a it was a rocket thing. illusion. Se- right? se- uh, seg-
0: segway, did you go, George? I know it was. It's sort of like you know a rocket, kind of driven, but it's not a rocket. It's a jet. But it's what I had to work with. So that's what I came up with. Uh I, no, you had so, me worried. I thought maybe it was the white rain references. Yeah, no, maybe. So, I don't know, was it last last summer or even the summer before, we saw the Sonics uh, aircraft, the existing um, Sonics aircraft, uh, that they were starting to retrofit with a jet on it. And uh, we thought this was kind of amusing at the time. And, and, uh, um, and we'd heard a little bit more about it, I guess, this last summer and following summers and this summer. But now it's in the news that... Uh, that they've actually flown this thing,
1: right? Well, they flew it from Oshkosh last week, according to this story, and it's dated August 16, as in Flying Magazine. So, my question is this: Is Sonic's base in Oshkosh?
2: Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah they're on they're on the uh, they're on the east side of one eight three six. Okay. That's well, I'll tell nice. you, you
0: know, Whitman Field is kind of making a comeback. You know, it's kind of I mean, it's always been a happening place because EAA is there, um, and that alone, I guess, would be enough. But uh, it does quiet down a lot during the rest of the year. And, but it seems like more and more things are. So Sonics is there. There was another aircraft manufacturer we were hearing about in the past few months that is based there. And, well, uh, and
2: the, uh, the aviators' television yeah. show people, they and moved their
0: Yeah, that's the other one I was going to mention is that they're now making that their base of operations. And uh, so.
2: but Yeah, yeah, the, uh, uh, John Manette's crew flew what they call the Subsonics jet.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I love that. Subsonics it's a jet, but it ain't that fast a jet. Yeah, I know. I hope. So, yeah. Tell us more about it. Well, it's uh, a, a little single-place fuselage with a V-tail similar to what John Manette was, uh, has long been enamored by, and for good reason. Lower drag, less weight, uh, good control. Uh, they built a different wing, gave it a little different landing gear, and mounted a a, a little engine that weighs about 300. Uh, uh, the whole airplane's got a weight of about 330 pounds. So you think about that. Yep. 330 pounds. That's, that's barely outside. Well, it's, it's outside the, the, the uh, ultralight range, but right. 330 pounds, and that's with an engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's got this small Czech, Czechoslovakian built PBS TJ one hundred turbine engine, mm-hmm. and uh, they've kind of got it mounted on the aft fuselage, up uh, on a little uh, pylon, uh, kind of what we've seen on the Cirrus jet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit similar to that, and in and other jets in the
1: past. The Piper, that Piper jet.
2: Yeah, except the Piper Jet mounts it in kind of like DC-10 style. Yeah, the vertical stabilizer, right? Yeah, yeah. Through, through that vertical fin. So and and
0: didn't the uh, didn't the somewhat infamous um, Eclipse concept jet have a single engine mounted on top like that? I'm trying to remember how that was mounted. It was a single engine. I think that was part
2: of it was the single point. Single engine, but I think it was internal, like the Diamond. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh,
0: so they've done this to the uh, that, now this jet engine. I, this certainly isn't an engine that was intended for powering aircraft. Well, what's its history? Where did it come from?
1: No, this is like an APU engine or yeah, something. Yeah,
0: okay. Like. I, is it reasonable to use APU engines to power an aircraft? Are these like safe machines? Are they reliable machines? Yeah.
2: Generally, yeah. I mean, they don't have a lot of moving parts. If you can keep fuel going to it and and the fire lit uh, and not, you know, overspeed... One part of it or another, so that centrifugal force kind of overcomes retention power. Uh, there's not a lot to go wrong with them.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, and the the airframe, although like you said, it's been modified. Does does the airframe have a good reputation? Is this? I guess what I'm getting at is this a stunt or is this a good idea? Is, is we
1: think this is reasonable? Whether whether it's a good idea it kind of remains to be seen. Is it a stunt? No, I, I mean it's, it's it looks like this is. Uh, uh for all intent and the Sonics is not known for uh for, for, for uh, frivolity in their in their designs. Their their designs are simple and inexpensive.
0: uh uh-huh.
1: um, but um, um, I'm not aware of any uh, uh any chronic long term issues with any of their airframes at all.
2: Yeah. Now John manette has got a long, long uh, uh trail of successful designs. Right. He may not be as well known as uh as the uh, the guy from Mojave uh Sideburns uh Yeah, Oh Routan, that's the guy. Yeah, that's the, that's guy. the guy. But Mr. Minette is is quite a clever designer and engineer in his own right and going back to his Moni motor glider, uh a uh series of Formula One racers uh that you could build from a kit. Uh at one point he even marketed a kit built sailplane
1: mm-hmm. uh
2: metal. Uh the, the the Moni Motor Glider was, you know, one of the cleverest little designs to come out of the early home-built era uh, uh, kit era, I should say. Um, about the time ultralights were taking off, John was working there in Oshkosh. Uh had a little twin cylinder engine mated to this uh very sleek fuselage, uh all metal and you sat in it in a a reclining kind of a supine position. The instrument Cluster was in a panel attached to the canopies, like a lot of sailplanes, so it tilted open and closed with you. A little tractor, uh, single-wheel landing gear with a tail wheel, and then little outrigger wheels. Uh, The wings came off and on in about five minutes.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, Great big pip pins that joined them underneath the seat. Uh, And I think on 30 horsepower, the little puppy would cruise at about 115, 120 miles an hour. And burn about two gallons an hour. Yeah, this is And true. it was aerobatic, yep. and you could put long wings on it to soar.
0: Cool. Cool. Well, this is kind of neat. It's a little one-seat yeah. jet, and, uh, you know, if they can kind of get this through its test program and, uh, and and maybe... So, I guess, have they announced what their intentions are here? Is this going to be a, 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 a factory-manufactured airplane or a kit or a...
1: It's going to be a As kit. As it
2: stands now, they're not... They, not, they, they've they not committed it to production. Yeah. Uh, they're not saying it's going to be a kit. Yeah. Right now, it's a research project. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, it's a cool one. It's cool. And so all they need to do now is they need to put two potato cannons under each wing, all right? And then we could, you know... A little fun with this anyways welcome folks to episode ready for this drum roll please 250 of, da uncontrolled, da. of uncontrolled airspace the general aviation podcast Clear.
1: Background noise throughout the day, but it's just airplanes, so it's not—it's it's not really noise. Good background noise. That's yeah, right. this That's is right. this is the best seat in the house. That's right. We Airplane. got skyriders now. We got skyriders now. We got yeah. skyriders. now. It, does that say UCap? I can't. It's, it's
0: got a runway up. in the front yard.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you're in sight, clear land. Turkey
0: Central Ground. Good afternoon, sir. Taxi via Foxtrot and Delta. We're recording this episode on uh, th- what is it Thursday evening, August 18, 2011, and uh, joining me here uh, in the virtual hangar again
1: uh, is the, <laughs> you. You say that like you know uh, for the oh gee, well, no, for approximately uh, the two- uh, uh,
0: for approximately the two hundred fiftieth time uh, is a couple of my good friends. Jeb Burnside's out there talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing this evening? Fine as frog fur. Thanks for asking. Ooh. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good. Good and also out there is uh, Dave Higdon talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. David, what are you up to tonight?
2: Uh, about five foot eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another triple-digit day. Uh, that brings us to forty-two or forty-three this summer. Holy crap! How, yeah. So how hot did it get today? Well, uh, last time I looked, it was 103, and that had come down a little bit.
0: Uh, this is going to stop being a novelty pretty soon, right? Now, this is this is bad. <laughs> this is just not a joke, right? People are dying out there.
2: definitely not a joke. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, you know, not, not to be flip about it, but it's a little bit hellish for a lot of people and a lot of businesses. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's really dry and clear here today, so walking out in the sun, even in a light shirt, you can feel the uh, UVs kind of... Okay, time to turn over. You're done on that side. Yeah, I know. Huh?
0: Well, we'll we'll think good thoughts, but hopefully that'll break soon. It can't stay that way much longer, right? It's getting to be
1: fall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't we know. Got an, I don't. Know, down here we got you know maybe another six weeks of of hot, hot. Uh, so I would guess you know elsewhere. Is well, that I mean, the way we're? I'll tell you what it works. Uh, but in New, ha- New Hampshire, you probably
0: have another what? Two or three weeks. Yeah. But, you know, Dave's sitting there with his hand in the air, holding his elbow up with the other hand, saying, ooh, because he wants me to say, and I'm Jack Hodgson. And uh, I'm talking to you from high atop lookout point here in Nottingham, New Hampshire, where mid-August, historically, um, the season, will, the, the, the climate will change. I mean, this is uh, throughout my life, you know, and things are weird these days. Who the heck knows what it's going to be like these, you know, years. But uh, it's not unusual for the weather to really change its tone in mid august and it kind of turns into fall i mean it's still very very nice but the real hot summer weather it's kind of you start to think about wearing a sweater every now and then and um so yeah we we i kind of think of fall beginning you know in late august here and uh, mm-hmm. and that's not a bad thing i love fall fall maybe is yeah, the nicest no, I, time of year up here and mm-hmm. uh, but uh, which is why i'm thinking of going to florida go figure <laughs> you know but anyways um we're going to, I was going to ask David about something, and now I've forgotten what it was. Well,
2: if you uh, were going to ask me if I'd fly the subsonics, the answer is probably.
0: Oh, I'd
2: fly the subsonics. So oh, yeah. yeah, I'm
0: Absolutely. sure you would. You know, that's that's that looks like a fun airplane. Once they kind of get it, you know, figured out, and uh, assuming they get it figured out, and uh, flying the anvil. I'm guessing none of us will fly the Anvil. uh
2: unless you can see, show me somebody successfully doing it first. Yeah, well, it'd be sort
1: no. of a, sort of a Slim
0: Pickens moment, you know, kind of thing. You know,
1: exactly. There's Wave that. your cowboy
0: hat in the air and uh,
1: yeah, I want I want to see someone successfully ride that thing once. <laughs> uh, I want to see you know the hospital bill. Uh, I yeah um, see. But more no. importantly, I think I, I I will I will be happy. Uh, you know, light the fire, kick the tire and light the fire, as it were. Yeah, right. Uh, but I don't know that I want to be pick. okay?
0: Exactly. Because I, 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 too, wouldn't mind watching somebody else ride it, but even then, I'm still not riding it. Forget it. We're right. not going to have
2: it. Well, that, that, that acceleration curve on the way up is yeah, going yeah. to be kind of yeah. tough on you. <laughs> there are so many images. We shouldn't go there. Family podcast. Uh,
0: <laughs> so this there so was a story in the news this past week about a blimp that got away. uh Uh, is this another blimp fishing story the one that got away yeah no apparently apparently let me find the story here when i first heard this first saw the headline um it's in ohio a blimp that was moored at ohio state airport broke loose in some sort of weather all right and drifted away there was nobody on board all right it just drifted away and uh And my first thought was, because I had heard other stories, separate stories, but that the uh, farmer's zeppelin that we had seen in in Oshkosh was actually touring that Mm -hmm. part of the country giving rides. I'd seen separate reports of this. Mm -hmm. And so my first thought was, ooh, maybe this isn't a blimp. What was this is the zeppelin? This would be a great part of the story, right? So I, I immediately went and looked at the story, and apparently it's not. It's not the zeppelin. No. no. Um, this, this was a very deflating experience. Yes, it was. It was because, so the blimp, let me, I'll just read the first paragraph here. The 128 foot long blimp docked at the Ohio State University Airport broke free of its moorings in high winds early Sunday and drifted away. And as of the time of the writing of this story, which was Sunday, it hasn't yet been located. And they were out looking for the blimp. They couldn't find it, which is just like
1: bizarre. They, and, they finally uh, found it in some grandmother's backyard. Well, apparently the grandmother found it in her backyard well she she woke up and hey, what is that in my back oh It's a deflated blimp. Yeah, and you know, that that happens all the time. All the time. Now, this is actually a
0: very, very great illustration of what Dave was trying to teach us while we were in Oshkosh. I think it was Dave about the fact that blimps have no structure in them. Because when this thing deflated, it was literally draped over the corner of this lady's house and a tree and some stuff in her backyard. I mean, it literally was an empty bag at this point, you know, with a little bit of.
2: it's a big airtight bag. That's yeah, all it know. is, with with some smaller airtight bags inside that you can deflate or inflate. As yeah, and they like
0: change the buoyancy. The engine and the control control structures and the gondola, I guess, are you know stru- have structure, but the that's correct. But the envelope is literally a big bag, and it was all draped over this lady's backyard, and so. Uh, I you know I, I kept wondering about this throughout the week at Oshkosh because you'd look out the hotel window and we'd see that thing moored over in Pioneer Airport and uh, and we had a couple of good storms and I'm you know we had that, that big wind thing that happened on whatever day that was Saturday yeah, Friday right. something like that and I'm thinking well, what would happen and I kept looking at the the post that the, the the mooring thing that that the farmer Zeppelin was attached to and I kept thinking you know it's not really what's holding it. In place. I mean, it had out. It was a big truck with yes, a mooring a mast, truck. and it had outriggers, but it didn't appear to be like you know tied off or anything like that. And uh, but I guess they've got it figured out. Well, you know, it it's
2: it's allowed to pivot on the mooring mast. Right, that's the key to the whole thing here.
0: But it's still there's going to be lateral force pulling on the mast,
2: even if it pivots. You know. Well, not much. I mean, once it gets pointed into the wind, the the surface area that the, the wind sees, uh,
0: it's a, not a much. Much, not much is a relative term. I think there's going to be a fair amount. You couldn't stand
2: there and hold it with a rope, David. But they do when they land, of course it takes yeah, six right. or seven people, to yeah, and, and they only and they hold made it made momentarily, it, but, and yeah. the engine is still running,
1: and they've got power on it too yeah,
0: exactly but, yeah. yeah so
1: what I want to know uh, is how this broke away from its moorings were, were the moorings similar to what we've seen at Oshkosh with the with the farmers um, um, it's not a blimp, it's a zeppelin dirigible uh, with, with, well, se- no. excuse me, thank you, zeppelin um in, in the Goodyear blimp and whatnot, where the where the mooring or the the ship pivots around the mooring, right? Or yeah. Was there some other design here in place? At, yeah. And point?
0: I don't know. I haven't seen any pictures of that. Um, but uh, they found the blimp, but it went wandering away, floating away, which is just you know. Can
2: and you and imagine? It, this has this has happened before with blimps. Yes, it has. Uh, uh, can you it,
0: imagine being the the I don't know the captain of the blimp or the crew chief for someone you know who kind of steps out of the the motorhome that they've stay in while they're near the mooring mass there <laughs> and, they, and they step outside and they say something's wrong here <laughs> something's i something, mean something's there was different a
1: shat, there was there was a shadow here when i got it i
0: okay. know it's something's not, missing what's missing oh, holy that's, crap oh that's missing
1: yeah. yeah darn now what do i do you know oh i gotta call my oh i gotta call my boss and <laughs> yeah, tell him oh my god that,
0: that would not be good. that would not be good
2: so, but they it's did. Fly- t- yeah, like I said, it, it crashed in this lady's backyard, or settled first, in. This first lady's- thing, first call I'm making is to flight service and find out what the winds have been. Then I'm going to call police downwind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, calling anybody nearby, yeah, uh, it's not going to be there. Yeah,
0: no, no, no. On a much more serious note, here um, we haven't talked for a while about uh, uh, Air France four four seven and. uh you know, there seem to be a few stories. Not so much about re- well, I don't know, Jeb. Are they reporting on the on the circumstances, or you know, are these just I, sort of hooked the, to the, the
1: what's what's happened? And, and we're talking about the Peter Garrison piece in uh, L.A. Times. Um, um, what's happened is um, I don't know. It's been a couple of three weeks now. Um, the um, BEA, the uh, French counterpart to the NTSB, uh, published third in a series of of reports um, on the accident, I haven't had a chance really to sit down with that third report and, and look through uh, what what is there. I, I, I'm led to believe what is there is is additional details, um, additional information, um, expanding on already uh, released information uh, on this on this accident. Um, so I'm not sure that there's anything really new uh, in that report um garrison 's article and let me see if I can load it real quick uh It was more of a, a thought piece on uh um you know the, well the headline it kind of says it all so the air france four four seven smart planes still vulnerable to human error and, and um and as garrison highlights here um um basically uh let 's see what it was um um Losing reliable airspeed information, the autopilot turned the airplane over to its human minders as it was designed to do. And that's kind of where things started to fall apart. Yeah. Uh, for, according to Garrison, uh, for some reason, perhaps he thought the speed was too high. The pilot who was flying the airplane pulled it up into a climb, rapidly gaining several thousand feet. This, in turn, led to an aggravated stall. And the airplane ba- basically stalled and remained in that attitude. Um, and started descending. Uh, uh nose high. Remained in that attitude until it hit the water. Yeah. So, so no,
0: n- you know, no new, no no changes to what we've heard
1: for a while Nothing, now. No, n- not really. I, as I say, I, I really haven't had a chance to, to dive into yeah. it. I, I I apologize for that. No, um, it's okay. It's it's been quiet on this
0: on this subject for for a, a month or so now. Yeah. And, uh,
1: yeah. Um. Uh, but um I, I after the after the second, you know, interim report came out, which um looked at in detail uh the flight data and the cockpit voice recorder information, um that's pretty much all you need to know about this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's well, I know. It's a very sad, disturbing, distressing. It is
1: very sad. It's very sad, it's very disturbing. And um the uh there have been some other articles out there, um, kind of floating around, you know, basically to the to the uh, what What are we doing with uh, with flight training of airline pilots that they're failing to recognize and respond to um, stalling the airplane at high altitude, mm-hmm. and certainly training in stall recognition and stall recovery uh, is, is part of this. But you're also looking at—I um, don't know if it's a cultural thing or or what you want to call it—but you're looking at a situation where um, you've got, and this is a, a two-seat cockpit with three crew members aboard, okay? mm-hmm. and the captain is is in the left seat for takeoff and landing, and uh, the the first officer, shall we say, the senior first officer, whatever we want to put it, is the guy in charge of the flight deck while the captain's away. And the the junior first officer uh, is the guy backing up the senior first officer. Right,
0: and they kind of rotate through throughout the... And
1: they kind of rotate through and and whatnot. The punchline in all this is uh, rarely um, does anybody get a landing out of all this. Here's here's a 10, 12-hour flight, and no one really gets a landing out of this. Uh, Somebody obviously does, but there's very little... Experience gained after all this flight time in actually flying the airplane mm-hmm. by hand yeah okay, and um, what we 've got is is a situation where we 're cruising along it 's two a m uh we 're cruising along over the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, not a care in the world um they're they're circumnavigating or trying to circumnavigate some storms, they fly into some 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 weather,pedo tubes ice up. Autopilot says, "I'm done. Thank you very much. I don't have enough information. Uh, it's all yours, guys." And all of a sudden, they're handed a, a real uh, um, um, lousy sandwich, sh- shall we say? Yeah, yeah. And uh, they don't have enough training or enough experience to really um, get back into the loop that they have removed themselves from by design. Uh, they don't, they're not back into the control and feedback loop on the airplane. They can't get in there quite quickly enough to save the airplane. Yeah. And, and we, we got to figure out why that is. We got to figure out a fix for all that. Well, you know, and,
0: and there was that somewhat related story about how they were talking about giving airline pilots more traditional trainings, you know, smaller aircraft and, uh, uh, you know, stall recognition, stall recovery training and things like that, um, and, and we talked a little bit about that and how we thought that ought to fit into the whole thing. I actually spoke to a couple while we were at Oshkosh, I think it was, I had occasion to speak to a couple of listeners who are professional pilots who who really reinforced that notion. They said that it's absolutely true, they thought anyways, um, and this is just based on a sample of two, but they were very adamant that it's absolutely true that professional pilots these days are really undertrained in these areas and... Uh, and and they thought it was just a terrific idea that they were going to receive additional training so
1: uh, well there was a, um i think it was uh, J- jim fallows um earlier this week late last week uh, had a post on his blog where um he had been written to by a current 767 captain um and the 767 captain pointed out that um you know not only um um, do we have the situation where um, crews are not getting enough, don't have enough time, perhaps in in um, in light airplanes to to really feel and react to a stall? So you know. For, secondly, there's no Garrison makes this point in his article. Says uh, uh, stalling a a, a a transport category jetliner is you know unheard of, whether it's in practice or or. Uh, in, in, in actual operation, thirdly, talked about of course the the hours and hours of boredom, punctuated by moments of stark terror that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. There, flying along, and and uh, you're not in the loop, and all of a sudden uh, uh, you got this sandwich. Um, but the, the 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 writer to uh, that, that um uh, uh, posted on uh, pointed out that a lot of the foreign carriers. Um, and just to the nature of the beast, um, uh, a lot of the foreign car- carriers have pilots, especially when they have to have these, these three-man crews in a, in a two-man cockpit. Um, the, the, the third guy, and, and I don't know, it might be in the information available from BEA, I don't know who was, who was handling the stick when the airplane crashed. Um, but the third guy, according to this, this uh, writer, Tiff is is saying, you know, look, um, this guy um, is even less experienced than um, uh, on average. This is the, the the average FO for a, a U.S. carrier flying heavy iron, seven sixty seven, seven thirty sevens, etc., has a lot more experience, uh, on par perhaps with the captain of this A three thirty than one of the first officers. Um, and it's, it's a it's a function of Demand, it's a function of the way uh, foreign carriers, and increasingly I think maybe uh, uh, some domestic carriers, train uh, from the ab initio standpoint. And these guys don't have a whole lot of time in small airplanes. They don't have a whole lot of time doing unusual attitudes. They don't have a whole lot of time experiencing the, the buffet and, and uh and behavior at the stall, recovering from the stall, things of this sort. Uh, as as, uh, as Garrison correctly pointed out, all they had to do when the autopilot tripped off was do nothing, mm-hmm. fly it straight and level. That's yeah. all they had to do, and that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Uh,
2: you know, the, the, this column by a guy that we've been reading for years, Peter Garrison, uh, still writes a safety analysis column for Flying Magazine. Uh, been around a long time, flown a long time. You make some good points in this. The thing that I keep coming back to in my head, trying to imagine that situation, that weather that night, is the inability of the crew to trust any of the indications that they were getting in the cockpit. Right. You know, they're are getting conflicting indications from different uh primary flight displays. Uh, they're getting conflicting error messages they're getting multiple problem uh, uh alerts they're getting all this going on and it's lousy weather and it's black out and they're over the ocean and there's no frame of reference available except the instruments which aren't behaving consistently right right uh, I, know, i'm sure that they knew that their nose was so high through most of that three minutes yeah I mean it it seems like. The pilots
0: are going to take most of the blame for this four four seven thing, um, yeah. And
2: must.
0: and they and my view is that they're entitled to some of that blame, not because they were evil or negligent or anything. They probably just weren't well trained or the situ whatever. I mean, there was some pilot error there, it seems to me. But I I'm hoping that 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 some you know action gets taken towards the uh, the flight software, the fly by wire system. I I just you know well. And I'm Part not talking a, about court action. I'm talking about yeah, let's fix it because sure, sure, because it sure. just threw up its hands and said, you know, you're, you know you've got the airplane. Well, it, it didn't
2: know? know what to do in the face of the indications it was getting either. But but I think
0: it could have known better if it had been programmed better. I, I, I know it was a weird situation,
2: you know, but. I'm not sure how you come up with that, Jack. When your sensors are screwed up, they're iced over. Uh, but the only it, sensor that got iced over was the pitot
0: tube. That's the only sensor they lost. Am I right about that? Three of sure. them, but i uh, admittedly they lost right. them all, and that's not good, all right, but they lost the pedo tubes and and the computer basically shut everything down as a result. that doesn't seem there's got to be a better a better reaction to that well, kind of situation
1: I, I would agree with you, and here here's kind of what the the way I look at this. I can certainly understand where um the computer um is is designed. To reject erroneous airspeed data, um, and I can and and it's it's what it's doing, of course, is it's it's got three sensors. It's comparing all three of them to each other. It gets a set of bad data from one of them and rejects that. It goes with the other two. All of a sudden, um, all three of them are bad. No, it should not fail the whole system and trip the autopilot off and say, "Here's your sandwich." Um, but beyond that. Um, there are backup instruments in the airplane. In this case, um, I think it was a, it's called an ISIS Integrated Standby Instrument System, which uh, incorporates um, heading, attitude, and, and airspeed. And that one instrument is kind of their backup um, to the the, the conventional six pack gauges that uh, we're all familiar with. And uh-huh. and on 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 some of the glass airplanes we see today. Uh, you'll see three instruments um, as backup. You'll see a conventional airspeed indicator. You'll see a conventional um, uh, attitude indicator, and uh, I don't know, conventional uh, um, altimeter, I guess. Uh, I forget what the third one is. It probably altimeter as opposed to a DG using the uh, magnetic compass as a backup heading indicator. So, um, but but all these things are incorporated into this one instrument in the in the A330. I don't know. Where the ISIS gets its data, see right. I, I don't know if the ISIS is designed to get its data from the same sources as the main computer mm-hmm. okay, as opposed to is it you know is it vacuum, mechanical, whatever um, uh, is it uh, a true backup with separate sensors and a separate power, or is it uh, designed to well, of course, the system can't fail. Uh, so we don't, you know, the only thing that yeah. can really go wrong here is one of these glass panels will fail or the, the power supply will fail. And we'll put this ISIS in here uh, to, to get uh, um, data from the battery-backed computers and uh, give, give the guy some way to get home or at least, you know, reboot the system. Uh, that's, that's the one of the problems that I see here, too, is not only is there a software issue, but there's also a design philosophy issue here relative to the backup systems. Mhm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we we've had some discussions about this with other pilots about uh putting backup systems in their airplanes so, or keeping backup when they move to uh you know, glass instruments. And uh you know, some of them are freaked out at the cost of dedicated backup systems and when you tell them, "Yeah, but you you know, you can move that old attitude indicator over here." And leave the suction pump in if that's what's driving it and 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 you're good to go for attitude backup uh as long as it still gets suction uh but when it comes to air data uh if everything comes through the same pedostatic system that the mains depend on, then the backup's likely to be no better uh right. in accuracy than what the mains are giving you uh because it's depending on the same uh sources for air pressure and static right. pressure. Oh. Yeah, okay, yeah. I see what you're saying cuz I was about to say that that if if the
0: 447 guys had had uh accurate um what uh a- attitude information and uh and a- an altitude information um and if, if they, they believed it, it would have gone a long way towards saving their lives.
1: They, they needed adic- they, adequate they needed accurate uh, Airspeed, attitude, and altitude information. Right. I don't. I'm not sure they had it in any fashion. For all for all I'm I know, either. their their panels were were going, t- you know, their yeah. panels were saying fatal error, blue screen of death, whatever. Yeah. Right. And and um, they couldn't make sense out of any of this. Whether the the ISIS was giving them accurate information. Uh, right now, I'm not sure that that's been then dis- been, been uh, really uh, established. Um, established yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe yeah. only airbus knows and i don't know that they're saying again that this is something that might be in the bea reports i've just not had a chance yeah to, i know let's to, move it, on it, it's all patchy yeah, it it it's yeah, just you yeah.
2: it it bears you know the the closing end on this is that you uh, you you really got to be adept at using all the information that's available and sometimes question the information that you're getting uh But, you know, for any of us in a similar situation, uh, I'm not sure. I certainly couldn't claim I could do any better, not with screwy attitude and airspeed data, conflicting data from uh, different displays in the same cockpit, and no outside view to give me any help whatsoever because my inner ear is one of the world's biggest liars. Yeah. Well, all of ours
0: are, right? Yeah. So, Jeb, you've, uh, let's see now, um, oh, so if you think about it, by the way, you, you, you know where I'm going to go with this story, all right? Jeb, you called our attention to a story about an airplane that crashed in, what, South Carolina, North Carolina, right. and uh, but was, the pilot was missing, all right? Uh, yeah. There are indications that he managed oh. to crawl away and disappear. Well, tell us uh-huh. more about this story. What happened here? What's going on?
1: Well let me let me uh, uh open these uh open these links here. This is uh the I think polynewsobserver.com. dot uh, com. Um, a uh PA thirty two uh, I presume uh, later model Saratoga uh went missing from the Chapel Hill airport, Horace Williams airport at Chapel Hill, um earlier this week. Um it was crashed nearby. And um ELT went off Yippee, whomever found it, um, um, rest of the rest crews found the wreckage. Um, there was no pilot aboard. And um, they're like, hmm, this is interesting. There's a blood trail. No pilot. Uh, one thing led to another. Um, I don't know how they developed man, this oh information. Man. It might be in this story. Um, Hello? But uh, let's see. This, this Anybody this We got
0: you, David. You still there? Stand by, Jeb. Jeb oh, David, you there? there. Anyways, everybody can hear say, everybody. That that, that
2: yeah, seam can... is going to rub a raw spot on you. Be careful. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm let's sorry, just, Jeb. Just, we interrupted you here. You were telling okay. us about let's, the. Uh... Let's
1: just take. Let's just take this from the top.
0: Um, yeah. Okay. So, Jeb, tell us what's the story here. This airplane came down, uh, uh, crashed, and
1: there was nobody on board. Well, I don't think there's. Any, I think there was somebody on board. What happened is the a P two r Saratoga uh, was stolen from the Horace Williams Airport early hours of Tuesday morning uh, this week, or found early, early in the morning. It might have been stolen late Monday night. Um, and crashed uh, uh, nearby. Uh, apparently it didn't have a whole lot of gas on board uh, when it was stolen. Uh, and Allegedly stolen. Excuse me. Allegedly stolen. Um, crash nearby. Um, rescue crews found the wreckage, got to it. Nobody on board. There's blood trails. Uh, somebody obviously was injured. Uh, knocked out the pilot side window, crawled out, blood on the wing, blood you know in the trees and in the woods, uh, away, leading away from the crash site, uh, but um, no pilot. Hmm. Curiosity. Mm-hmm. So this was, as I say, this was this story came out Tuesday. Today is uh, Thursday. On Wednesday, another story came out, naming, uh, well, saying that the the uh, University North North Carolina Chapel Hill police. Had obtained warrants Wednesday, charging someone named Curtis Renee Mallott, Mellott M e l l o t t of Chapel Hill uh, with felony larceny in this in this case, um, saying that uh, he was the one apparently who stole or allegedly stole this airplane. Actually, it crashed uh, early 4:53 uh, a.m. on Tuesday, according to the, the local sheriff up there. Um, no real information about um, um, uh, how they developed this uh, this information about this guy being the pilot. No real information about uh, um, uh, why they think he stole it or anything like that. They've got a you know be on the lookout kind of thing going out for the guy, uh, and they've seen had some sightings of him, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's just a curious little thing. Um, uh, what if they you know gave a crash and there was no pilot? Mm-hmm. Uh, But, uh, you know, I I was kind of having some fun with this and keying on an old uh, Saturday Night Live Chevy Chase thing is still valiantly hanging on in (laughs) fight to remain missing. (laughs)
0: Um,
2: Generalissimo Francisco
1: Franco. That's
0: right. That's right.
1: It still can't
0: be found after crashing his airplane. Well, right.
2: Is this the one where the owner looked at the Hobbs meter when he got out to the wreck and said, well, I write down my start and stop times. This thing's got an hour and eight tenths more on the Hobbs meter than it had when I shut it off the other day. Uh, it's like, really? Well, somebody had some fun for a while.
1: Yeah, I yeah. don't know. Until don't the know gas what, ran out, I guess. Until the gas ran out. I don't, I don't know uh, if if that was the situation here or not. Um, let me kind of dive da- back down in, in, into the story. The um, uh, bottom half of the story is basically talking about how there's no security at the airport and, and how uh, um, ELTs work and and things like this. But uh, um, uh, the um, uh, people who investigated the crash, or at least uh, local law enforcement, noted that there was no um, fuel seepage from the, the, the fuel tanks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The supposition is that it ran out of gas. Right. Right,
0: it's interesting. The story. Let's see now. The second story you pointed us to, the Times News, um, the one uh-huh. that names the uh, uh, the suspect. That's I a couple of interesting graphs in the middle of it that kind of are a little primer on student on pilot certificates. It's very bizarre.
1: Uh-huh.
0: It seems uh-huh. that this
1: suspect. Oh, one of them is, is is one of those graphs is blatantly incorrect.
0: Yeah, uh, and, and it's not real clear, but it seems to be indicating that the suspect only had a student pilot certificate. That's correct, according to this story. Yeah, um, and and then it goes on to—the so two paragraphs that caught my eye. According to FAA rec- records, Melot or Melo Received his student pilot certificate in 2004 with a third-class medical certification, which mean and this is what the paragraph was saying. This, which means he was a private pilot and couldn't be hired to fly a plane, said Kathleen Bergen, FAA spokeswoman. The next well, are half right there. Yeah, right. Well, then the next I'm graph, sure
1: she
2: I'm
0: sure she didn't say that. I'm sure she yeah didn't I'm either. sure I'm, she didn't. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, that. sure I've known that. Kathleen a long
2: time. I'm sure the reporter
0: misunderstood and didn't quite understand it. But the, the, the then the next graph is uh, also quotes Bergen. Um, a student pilot's license is similar – the reporter is saying a student's pilot's license is similar to a driver's permit, quote, except there are solo flight requirements for a person to receive his or her pi- private pilot certificate, Bergen said. When you have a student pilot certificate, you're working towards – this is bizarre. Uh, this is, this is the reporter yeah. didn't completely understand what was going on here. It, yeah. it seems that the suspect had only a student pilot license, and that goes back to 2004. Right. So – I don't know. What I was going to what I, what I met, what I was alluding to when we started this whole story was, um, has anybody checked to see where that barefoot kid is these days?
1: Yeah, yeah, I thought about that too. I, my understanding, he is, he is still incarcerated.
0: Yeah, he's still incarcerated. Yeah, he the, actually just so got a big advance on his book or his movie or something like that, and uh, uh-huh. um, which uh-huh. you know, he's like following through on these whole big his big thing, you know. And I'm going to turn this money over to, to uh, uh, you know, repay my victims and da 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 you know the kid continues Copy, to copycats yeah
2: copycats. that's yeah copycats right it's like uh i heard he was going to go into the shoe business
0: but <laughs> well he'd probably do sandals or something like that but uh, All right. All right. anyways um so uh, a, a a military drone aircraft crashed had a midair with a c-130
1: hercules over in the middle east right was it I'll bet that Hercules crew is Madden, Mattern Hornets. <laughs> really? I mean, I'm sure okay. they are. Why do you think they are? <laughs> Just, you know, here we are, you know, minding our own blinking business. <laughs> right. One flies a drone into us, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh. So, uh, it's an interesting story. Um, um, Apparently, it's an RQ-7 Shadow drone, which, contrary to the picture that goes with this article, is a relatively small little um, catapult-launched drone. Um,
2: and uh, they show a picture of a predator uh, here in the in, with the story, and it wasn't yeah. A and small being a relative thing, because according to this, the shadow is still twelve feet long with a twenty yeah. foot wingspan. Yeah, it's so. it's a
0: big RC aircraft. There's no question about it. Um, it would hurt, yeah. And uh, it it somehow uh, contacted the uh, 130, and which received light damage, quote unquote, um, and the air crew was unharmed.
2: <laughs> and uh, so uh, I know, love the, this. Army officials said controllers on the ground apparently didn't lose contact with the shadow aircraft until it collided with the C-130. Yeah. "Quote: <laughs> We were in complete go. control up until yeah, the yeah. collision." Close yeah, quote. I know.
0: So, well, that's that's reassuring, you know. And yeah, uh, it's i like I'm, my mother.
1: I'm, I'm, part- go ahead. <laughs> I'm heartened by
0: this. Yes, I know. I know. Now, So apparently this, you know, the, the, the rules, I mean, other than being a combat theater, apparently the rules and the way they clear the airspace um, for these, these drones over there is not dissimilar to the way they want to do it here. Which sort of doesn't bode well for them wanting to do it here, I think. I don't
1: know. It doesn't give me a warm, fuzzy no. Yeah, no. no. Right. Um, and, and of course, here, here's the money quote. Yeah. Is, quote, One of the things that limits their use, their use being uh, um, um, UAV use. One of the things that limits their use in civilian airspace is that there is no reliable technology right now that allows UAV operators to independently see and avoid other aircraft, said an aviation official. Duh!
2: save that quote. Save that quote. It's going to be useful.
1: That's right. As we have just demonstrated, they can't even do this in a war zone, much less civilian airspace.
2: Yeah. And it's not like there's a lot of other air traffic in the theater other than our traffic.
1: This was when? This was, this was in Afghanistan. How many airplanes in Afghanistan. Afghanistan right. air, yeah. How many airplanes do the Afghanistan Air Force have? Two? One? I don't know.
0: Hours. Yeah. Yeah, it's right. Hours. Yeah, it's Anyways, it's just, you know, kind of a data point here that uh, they can't even keep them separated in a very, very highly controlled environment. So, That's right. uh well, oh, uh, well
2: and I mean, we we we'd like to congratulate the c one thirty crew on uh, on, on yes. surviving what 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 could have seriously been bad news if it had crashed into the if the drone had crashed into the c one thirty in the wrong spot yeah that's the truth that's right i mean if that's they'd had exactly. taken out if they had taken out the lavatory they'd have had to cut that trip short <laughs> and if they um you know,
0: all kidding aside, they start flying these UAVs in the U.S. airspace, or I guess they already are. But when they really they just, already are, yeah. yeah, when they do it more and more, it's just a matter of time before somebody hacks into one of these things and takes control of it. I'm convinced. Oh, sure. You oh, know, absolutely. Well, there's,
2: um, there's, there's rumors that that's already happened. Oh, yeah. 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 It, uh, rumors or reports? What what
0: What are you alluding to here? You
2: can't I, would, say. I would have to leave it under the heading of rumors because yeah. uh... what I've read about it has been private communication among some people that work in the in the business. And one of the you know the, the, the part of the reason that I got into the loop at all was you know from a reporter standpoint, how would you keep something like this secret? And I was like, well, first off, I wouldn't be talking to me. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What, <laughs> for so many you know reasons, yeah. For so many reasons, I wouldn't be talking to Dave about so it. My goodness, yeah. 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 So I, I have to tell you guys that over all the years that we've been doing this podcast, um, getting on five years now. Go. From, what a concept! Wow! Oh, yeah, over all the five years I've been, we've been doing this podcast. I have learned so much. All right, I'm I, I'm only sort of half joking here. I've learned a lot um, about the you know the aviation world and 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 uh, aviation and the national airspace and all these kind of things. Um, for example, just to give you an example, way back in the early years of doing this podcast, you know, back in the, like what late 50s or something like that, um, I came across a story. Uh-huh. We were talking about a story in the podcast that was making reference to um, some some of the Boeing business jets, the the 737s um, that were being manufactured. And this particular story we were talking about referred to them as green 737s. And I naively thought that green was some sort of reference to the fact that it was some sort of environmentally sensitive, you know, biofuel kind of 737. But no, you guys set me straight and explained to me that no, in fact, the green was a reference to the color of the primer paint that they were using on the aircraft. It's uh, what it's the special paint that works for I, I, I
2: told you we should have stuck with the inexperienced thing. Yeah. But so, so, uh, so. See,
0: I learned zinc, zinc that the funcite, green. Yeah. So I learned that the green referred to the primer, the the anti-corrosion primer that they put in. So now, when I see this past week the story about the grand opening of the green terminal at uh, Pontiac, Michigan, I now know, of course, that this is a reference to the fact that they've painted the building with this anti-corrosive paint and. Uh, which I don't know why is it like it must be aluminum or something, right? Why would they paint it with anti-corrosive paint? <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> they're not sure. Well, if gee, I'm let kidding. me think. <laughs> they're Cam- not sure if if I'm camouflage. I'm that'd be one great way to make sure nobody found you. Is that <laughs> they're in the woods of Michigan? So
0: <laughs> they're not sure if I'm joking.
2: Uh, I am joking. It's the, uh, grand
0: opening of the green terminal at, uh, Oakland County executive L Brooks Patterson airport in Michigan. Um, and the main reason I wanted to talk about this story, although it's pretty cool that they've got a green terminal, a uh, environmentally friendly terminal. Um, but, um, uh, Oakland County Airport uh, in Pontiac, Michigan, was the location a little over a year ago of Acro Camp 1, and it's where we all went and hung out and watched everybody fly acroplanes and watched these four beginners get an intensive four-day uh, training session on uh, on flying acro, and... Uh, and we are about to do this again. Um, not at, at Oakland County. Um, uh, Steve Tupper, the head honcho behind AcroCamp, has uh, moved the whole thing to what he describes, what he insists, is the world's most charming little grass strip in uh, uh, called uh, Ray Airfield, and I believe Ray is the name of the town or the township or whatever in Michigan. And we're all headed out there next week to uh, to do AcroCamp two, where another four. Uh, pilots, uh, somewhat experienced. Well, I guess they range from being, you know, a couple hundred hour power pilots to few thousand hour pilots, but they all have in common um, basically no acro experience, no tailwheel experience, and they're going to get a total immersion uh, uh, thing over the span of about five or six days. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a lot of fun. The main reason I bring it up, because we talked about it when Steve was on the podcast, but uh, is that uh, I'm going to be out there, and in addition to helping Steve and company uh, putting together the program... I am going to be live blogging um, all of the activities while we're out there. Um, I will be arriving out there Tuesday afternoon next week and we will be there for almost a week um, all told and uh, the the so-called campers are only there for about four or five days but the crew and all will be there for about a week and I will be blogging on a pretty regular basis. Uh, Steve has given me his blessing for me to kind of give everybody a behind-the-scenes look at what is going to happen and what is going on at Acro Camp 2 from Ray Airfield in Michigan. So I urge people cool. to, uh, if you're at all interested in this kind of thing, to uh, check out the blog from time to time starting on Tuesday or sooner because it's a cool blog. Uh, and uh, and I will be posting two or three, hopefully two or three reports a day from uh, from Ray Airfield
1: about AcroCamp 2. It's going to be cool. We're going to have a lot of fun. Before we leave this, yes, um, one of the reasons they're calling this a green terminal, according to this, this brief blurb, the airport's new terminal features green technologies such as wind and solar energy. I don't know how well that's being used in the terminal. Geothermal heating and cooling. Again, don't know exactly how that's being used. LED and fluorescent lighting, that makes sense. Advanced insulation, electric car charging stations, and a living wall among others. Here's my question. What is a living wall?
2: <laughs> I'm not sure I want to know. <laughs> And, Come and, and, very, very close and we'll
0: tell you. Yeah.
1: How is this distinguished from a dead wall?
0: I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, I, I wonder have, if it's... Someone, someone in the forums will enlighten us, on am Yeah, sure. someone will explain this to us. Um, I wonder if it's one of these walls where, you know, bricks with people. I, I swear that there must have been some advance in technology over the last year, some machine that was invented that makes it very inexpensive or accessible to to engrave names and images in bricks, because I'm seeing fundraising programs all over the place now where you can get to buy a brick with your name on it, you know, or your hmm. logo or whatever. And uh, I wonder if that's what the Living Wall is.
1: Hmm, that's that could be it. That could be. It. You know, but how so, is that green? Uh,
0: I don't know. It's how they raised the money to pay for the green. I don't know. It's uh,
1: they they
2: used kind of green bricks. That's maybe they use
0: green. maybe they use green bricks. There you go. We'll have to ask Steve because that is, I believe, that's his home airport. Um, normally, so. Yeah. Well, uh, will you be nearby this place? Which place? Um, Oakland. Oakland County. County. Uh, yeah. not not necessarily. Maybe I'm not sure. I, I'm mm-hmm. still trying to kind of figure out exactly where Ray is in relation to other things, and uh, they're somewhat nearby. It, Why? You
2: want you, me to swing by and worth check it, worth it out? S- Check out the living wall.
1: Yeah. Check yeah. Out, check yeah. out the living wall. Okay. Is it, in fact, living? Does it, does it, is it sentient? I mean, how do we do this? What, what is <laughs> a, What is a, what is a living wall? It's a, it's an artificial intelligent
0: wall, right? It's I'm, I'm,
1: uh, Yeah. Okay. On one level, I'm, you know, trying to be a little, little humorous, but on another level, I genuinely want to know because this is something I don't understand. I don't yeah. know. All right. I mean, and all I right. Want, I want well, to know what well, this it, means.
2: I'm, I'm thinking it could be a career track for a couple of people I know who uh, react to any conversation like you're talking to a wall. So
1: Well, there's that. Oh, there's okay. That. All right. Yeah. Um, this, this could be… If, if they know, can
2: make a living uh, as a wall, impossible. I want to send them there. Yeah. David, is it's this
0: story bad. about the hot air balloons related to the secret olive farm?
2: Yeah. Really? What yeah. happened? Uh, the uh, offense… What? The offense punted. Oh. So,
0: so, going back, this is the story about the what we called the secret olive farm was a a a, a walled in olive. Farm out in uh, uh, California, someplace, Coachella Valley, right? And um, and they were troubled by the fact that there was a hot air balloon sightseeing operation that was drifting over or near their property, and they uh, arranged to get court orders to stop them, and it turned into a little battle. And we were having fun with it a while back, and hadn't heard anything about it in some time. Now you're saying that the uh, the secret olive farm kind of threw in the towel.
2: Yeah. Uh, that, that's Morellis, actually not very that's, the, the, the Morelli's family who filed complaints with the FAA, filed multiple suits, charging multiple people with harassment and and uh endangering them and invasion of privacy and a whole bunch of stuff, uh were uh not having when 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 a lawyer out there heard of the plight of the balloon operators and, and and it was spreading to other people too, crop dusters uh and, and other people flying through the area. Uh a local lawyer decided that he was gonna take up the defense of these people that were under legal assault uh by by the Morellis and uh as this started to work its way through court. Now remember this guy's doing this what lawyers call pro bono. That means for free. Uh, Generally, you would pay the expenses of, say, copying documents and having service rendered, but they're doing the work. They're contributing their hours. Uh, Richard Gilliland, Jr., took on the Balloonist case pro bono. Uh, he, uh, He was winning these cases he wanted to inspect the ranch based on the on the family's claim that the business suffered $750,000 in damages uh the uh, uh people argued that an inspection would violate his client's privacy rights and filed a declaration from a designer calling the project's architecture quote an original artistic presentation close quote containing quote trade secrets close quote and the Jew, uh, the judge turned them down and said yep the inspection had to go on and here a few days ago when the inspection was supposed to happen the uh, Morellis threw in the towel. Hmm. Uh, they they really don't want people in their
0: place, do they? They
2: really don't. No. No, and uh you know congratulations to Mr. Gilliland for stepping up and and God let's hope all the balloonists that lost parts of their income in some cases their business have a chance to come back and fly any damn place in that valley they want to except over those people's house according to FAA spec because it should have never gotten this far it should have never gotten this far the FAA should have stepped into this and say wait a minute no 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 you don't get to ban the state court doesn't get to ban people from flying through the airspace legally that's our no, turf you want you want to press a complaint, Oh, you did press a complaint, we investigated, and we found out there's nothing to your complaint
1: not not to not to defend the f a a but uh, <laughs> uh, until something uh, you know comes to uh, i don't know uh, uh, attorneys can explain this better than I can but unless um, or until the FAA is, is sued or brought into the case, which is a civil matter as opposed to a criminal matter, right. um, the FAA really, you know, they may feel strongly about this uh, in favor of the balloonist, but they really we don't need to know. enter this uh, at, at the civil level, um, uh, especially in a state court. Yeah, yeah they can file an uh, amicus brief and all this, um, but there's really no incentive for them to do so uh, they, they, the FA would prefer that uh, all of these things be worked out uh, uh, at a much lower level and not involve them, and that's what happened. That's what happened here. The system actually worked oh, for a change. Just well, well for the time being. Yeah, you know, the other, I know. right. The, I was going to say the, the, uh, other, uh, the other shoe can fall.
2: The right. lawyer, Mister Gilliland, uh, said, "On one hand, I'm elated. On the other hand, I'm waiting to see what they, meaning the morelles do next. uh... They, and through their lawyer." exoriated the public and and the press of course uh for being vicious hate speech mongers, irrational internet bloggers uh saying they'd made a fair trial impossible uh y- I'm sorry, but you people can bite my shiny metal ass. you made living yeah. impossible for yeah. a lot of people well, that had a lot of money invested in their ballooning business
1: i re- I resemble that remark and yeah, I, you know <laughs> i i i uh, i uh, I'm glad that this has come out the way it has i uh um, um ir- irrational internet blogger. Okay, fine. Thank you. I yeah, know. really. Yeah, thank, well, you. I I, I thank you. I accept that. No, I accept
0: um, that. That's seen Yeah, the uh, the Morellis they wandered into. Uh, they wandered. They apparently were not aware of the Streisand effect and uh, wandered right. Right into it. I think it was the Streisand effect, right? It was uh, well, and, you know,
2: okay. if there were inter- if there were irrational people blogging, it was in response to irrational action yeah. on the Morellis yeah. part. So quickly, sorry, you get what you, you you reap what you sow. Yeah.
1: Well, ra-
0: rationality is a relative thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and. uh yeah, okay.
2: Torch 101. You can sue okay. anybody for anything at any time. Footnotes right. here quickly. Uh, the Streisand
0: effect was because Barbara Streisand didn't like that somebody was taking aerial pictures, not even from over her property, but of her property. Actually, they were taking pictures of a whole big area that included her property. She tried to get these pictures squashed and taken off the internet. As a result, they ended up being put on the internet like a hundred times more than they would have initially, and it kind of backfired on her. People, people call that the Streisand effect, and this is what 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 happened here, the secret olive farm ended up having its picture displayed on more newspapers and websites um, as a result of their their uh, their uh, complaints than it ever would have been if they just kept their mouth shut and let the balloon people be anyways. Um, And then one last little tidbit here. Gilliland is the uh, so that's the lawyer, the good guy lawyer who helped out the balloonists. Um, Gilliland is I'm 99 percent sure was the name of that listener who sent us the notum that we signed while we were in uh, in Oshkosh. Oh, really? Yeah. Now his first name, I'm pretty sure, was Scott Gillan. Oh, so this okay. is a different person, but you never know; could be related. Um, you know. So those Gillans, good people.
2: Good oh, people. you just gotta watch. Well, out uh, congratulations, there. and and I really do sincerely hope that the uh, the balloonists and the other aviation businesses uh, out there can now come back into business and make the you know the the average decent living that they were making before these spud heads. Made like impossible farm.
0: <laughs> it was not a potato farm, David. It was an olive farm. Can we can we get the potato gun out for them? Hey, oh yeah, there we, there we go. I would
2: I would I would never advocate for spud violence. <laughs> Shout outs. So uh, I'm going to go
0: first. Uh, uh, over on uh, Google Plus, uh, there was an item published calling attention to the fact that Hangar One, the gorgeous, spectacular, historic. Hangar One airship hangar at uh, Moffett Field in Mountain View, California, at the southern end of San Francisco Bay, um, is is yet again in trouble. Um, It's it's oddly it's in trouble in the process of being preserved. It's a bizarre situation. Um, There there are groups there in uh, Mountain View that have been fighting to preserve this hangar for years now, and uh, they've managed to fight back the destructive plans for years. Um, The latest version was. Apparently, they needed to take off the sheathing, the the skin of this thing, because the skin was made of some material or coated with some material or something that was hazardous. So if, even if the hanger is going to stick around, they've got to take off the, the sheathing and replace it with something else. And so they actually began the project of taking off the skin of the hanger and reducing it to just its, its bare structure. As government projects are wont to do, they've begun taking the skin off the hangar before they have the funding to replace it with new skin um, and uh and under any circumstances, that would be a risky situation in this day and age of bizarre you know federal government financing um, it's even more at risk than ever. And so, I just wanted to call attention to the fact that this is happening, um, and there is an online um, petition that you can sign, uh, regardless of where you're from in the U.S. Um, It's a petition aimed at the uh, the California senator to uh, to try and uh, urge them to arrange the funding so that the new skin can be uh, applied once they've taken the old skin off. Um, if you've ever been by, you can see this from you drive along um, Highway 101, which is one of the main highways through Silicon Valley, and as you drive along 101, uh, Hangar 1 is right there, just off of the highway. It's spectacular. It's beautiful. Um, it's just it's, it's. wonderful. I've been in it a couple of times for various events and, and activities, uh, and uh, it's. Uh, it was originally a an airship hangar. It was back in the I guess what the you know, 40s and 1920s 30, and 30s. 20s, 30s, 40s-ish. Yeah, and uh, when the when the military thought that they were going to use airships more, and uh, and there was an, actually an airship or two based here at Moffett, and they would be kept in this hangar for various reasons. And uh, um, the airships are long gone. They used the the Navy used the hangar for years as part of the Navy base, and 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 it's then become a museum and a lot of different things. And they've got all kinds of plans to turn it into sort of an indoor, uh, you know, um, aviation theme park kind of thing. I'm not sure what the latest plans are. Those were plans at one point. I'm babbling here. I think Hangar One is awesome. I if I was still out there, I'd be on the front lines trying to protect this thing. I urge people to, to think about doing the same. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes to the uh, to the online um, to the online uh, uh, thing, the huh? online uh, uh, petition, so that you can uh, express your desire to have Hangar One preserved. Sorry, right. that, I spent a lot more time on that than I expected to, but it's important to me. Other shout outs? what do you guys got?
1: Not really a shout-out in the, in the uh, conventional sense that we, we use that term here, but I just wanted to mark and note uh, the passing of one Ralph D. Al- Albertazzi, Albertazi, I'm not sure how the, what the correct pronunciation is. Um, a retired Air Force colonel uh, who, was notably, uh, during Richard Nixon's uh, tenure as president, was the uh, pilot of Air Force One. I read this guy's book. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he just um, passed. It's very sad. Just just passed this week. Um, uh, in addition to flying uh, um, Nixon, and, and in fact, flying Nixon on his last flight aboard Air Force One, the day he resigned and left office, uh, flew him home to California. Uh, Albertazzi also flew Eisenhower, Johnson, Gerald Ford, Harry Truman, and of all people, Herbert really uh, during his career he, he uh, flew in um, um, uh world war 2 uh enlisted in the army air corps during world war 2 uh served in korea and vietnam uh, 17 combat missions 75 combat support missions in vietnam earned a bronze star and two air medals uh to, wrote two books uh after uh, retiring from the military in 1974 not going really to the same uh uh, same year that Nixon left office uh went back to his native West virginia uh in, dabbled in politics, opened the truck stop uh, and I even owned a television station uh mm-hmm. several years ago uh but to me he 's always going to be best known as uh the, the Air Force one pilot uh, uh during during uh um, this late sixties and, and early seventies when you know Air Force One was you know really the the big deal uh, yeah. Um, and uh, I never met him, anything like that. But uh, the name, you know, struck, and uh, just one of those things that uh, is part of part of the culture, part of the aviation culture. And I uh, just wanted to memorialize him and uh, mention his passing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I didn't realize uh, the name was familiar, but I, until you said the Air Force One pilot, I didn't make the connection. Sure. The book that that I have that I, I haven't read in many, many years, but it's called the flying. I'm now looking at it in Amazon, the Flying White House. By uh, Ralph Albert- Albertazzi, and uh, um, it's been a long time since I read it, but I have I have a very strong recollection of it I, that I enjoyed it. I may have read it more than once even, and uh, yeah, it's the story of Air Force One, Ralph Albertazzi. Well, that's very sad. Uh, our 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 condolences go out to his family and friends.
1: Yeah, I guess one one the only thought I would have is is um, now he's the guy who flew Nixon to China. He flew Kissinger to China when he was doing I don't you know I should say flew Kissinger around when he was doing all the the shuttle diplomacy and the stealth under the radar negotiations with North Vietnam to try to end the Vietnam War, uh things like this. Um nothing like having a little, you know, added I don't know, gotta get there, gotta gotta get this mission done pressure mm-hmm. on you. Yeah. Um uh, and uh from all accounts Albert Albertazi uh uh fulfilled the mission and uh came through every single time. So uh that's one of the reasons I want to memorialize it. Yeah. Uh
2: David, any shout outs? Well I'm gonna lift one from one of the stories we're not doing and shout out to Mr. Anthony Collins of South Church Road, South End, England. Uh who was uh he's a student pilot. He's uh, coming up on his check ride and recently had a bad landing in uh, the Cessna 152 he was training in. Uh, It belonged to an outfit called the Flight Center. It's a flying club. Uh, Flying clubs are much more common in the U.K. than they are here. Uh, And a lot more people use them than seem to here. Uh, He uh, apparently collapsed the nose gear on a bad landing. Uh, It's been known to happen. Yep. But when he came back to the uh, uh flying club, the flight center, uh the staff refused to let him in and in doing so so ticked off uh his flight instructor and six other friends that he says they went to another flying club next door, Sea Wing, and joined over there. Uh mister Collins, uh, if you're paying a hundred and sixty pounds sterling an hour for flight instruction and I'm sure a good chunk of that goes into insurance. We, we really hope you're able to hang in there with it and get your uh, 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 private pilot's license through the C-wing club that you're in and uh and in wave at the old guy at the old club, folks, when you go flying by, yeah. hang in there dude you're not the first student to mend an airplane, you won't be the last hell I even know flight instructors that have been airplanes with students in them, so that's
0: right yeah yeah this is a class I, saw, I, I remember this story this is a it's a classic uh, uh, mainstream media doesn't understand aviation story because the headline says trainee pilot grounded after crash landing in plane and and as David describes. Pretty accurately, I think um, he wasn't grounded at all. It's just that the flying club that owned the airplane he had been flying for, you know, perhaps not even very reasonable reasons, didn't want him to fly their airplanes anymore. But he just went across the ramp into a different FBO, and his other me- other members, fellow members, and CFIs mm-hmm. went with him. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't grounded at all. I'm sure some retraining was called for, or some reconf, you know, rebuilding In, of confidence. But
2: you know, 152s can be fixed. There's you know, Lycoming like O235s after. There are plenty, yeah. and uh and, Hartzell and Sensenich both make crops for yeah. them. So, so anyways, uh, yes. Hang uh, in there, you, Mr. Collins. We're on your side, man. You and, and and remember, you know, keep your speed up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, re- remember also to keep the nose up too.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, those near. Yeah, I never collapsed a nose gear on a 152, but I, you know, it's like I can easily imagine how that happens because you can abuse them if you're not careful. And uh, I'll take a lot of abuse, but It's not endless.
2: They can abuse any of them. Any airplane can be overflown, underflown, badly flown. It's just a matter of how good a touch you have for it. Is that it? Any more
0: shout-outs? I'm good. Okay. I'm good. Well, then we're done. Jeb Burnside, good to talk with you. Jeb is a, a freelance aviation writer and editor, and serve, currently serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the internet?
1: Oh, jeburnside.com, dot uh, com, uh, aviationsafetymagazine dot com, uh, occasionally on aea dot net, and occasionally on uh, uh, avweb.com. dot com.
0: And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where pe-
2: where can people find you on the internet? Oh, avbuyer.com, aea.net, aviation safety magazine, dot something or other, uh, or just Google my name and remember that I understand physics. I just don't practice it. And I've been to a golf course but they only let you use one club at a time. That's right. You're
0: you're not a big believer in gravity, but uh, yeah.
2: not hardly.
0: And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a producer of new media. And you can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks you're,
1: you're, to. You're not just a, a recent convert to. Producer. No, I'm not.
0: I'm not just new at this. I am. Yes. I'm a yes. Okay. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Uh, thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips and other audio bits that we use in the show. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For inf- information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, web page of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, did you want to say
2: something? Best way to live long and prosper is go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go
1: flying. Get out the fork. Gather around, gather around. Okay, this is the scene where the members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. In this scene, their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the organizations they work with. So your motivation for this scene is anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, Remember your training and fly the airplane. Of course, you knew that, right? Because it's in the script. Okay, places everybody. Lights. Quiet on set. Let's get it in this take this time. Camera rolling. Audio. Speed. And marker. UCAP disclaimer. Scene 23, take 4. And action.